if you have your copy of God's Word, why don't you open with me to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be picking back up this morning in verses 38, looking down through verse 42, and dealing with what we think of as the law of retaliation, or the, and oftentimes the way Jesus states what he states here, the law of non-retaliation. Um, and oftentimes it's when we get to this portion where we, as Christians, learn <clears throat> that we are to be the proverbial doormats of the world. So congratulations. Thank you. Yes, if someone slaps you, uh, learn to like it and offer them the other as well. When someone just randomly comes up to you and says, hey, give me your shirt, just say, well, well please take my coat as well. Or if perhaps they say, hey, we'd like for you to, uh, to go a mile with me. Oh, no, I'm going to, and the like. Oh, you need my money? No problem, right? And, and sometimes there's probably been a, a point in your life where you've uh, taken, a, uh, taken a look at these and thought, how are we to make proper application of these things um, today? What was Jesus really getting after? What was he truly trying to say? So in our text this morning, Jesus is going to be correcting a misapplication of what we might refer to as the law of retaliation from the Old Testament, as it was being practiced then by the scribes and the Pharisees of his day. Uh, while at the same time showing us as his now kingdom kids and those at that time who were obviously interested in entering into his kingdom, they were being baptized, that John the Baptist's message and Jesus' message was that the kingdom of heaven is at hand and you need to repent and be baptized and such they were doing this. He had gone up and done ministry in the Decapolis and had healed many, and it says that there were large crowds that were following him. So there's no question in my mind that this crowd that would be with Jesus while he was teaching here on the Sermon on the Mount would have been a rather large crowd. And so he is now going to be uh, teaching them and instructing them how to instead deal with, deal with a variety. He's going to give four particular areas of life uh, that deal with worldly needs and issues that surely do and will arise in the course of one's life while following Jesus. And so Jesus is, I'm sure, going to be yet again um, opening the eyes of many and again, as, as I made mention of it, I think, three weeks ago, that one of the beauties of what Jesus is doing here is when we get to Matthew 28, and he says to go make disciples of all the nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It says, and teach them to obey all that I have commanded them. And so the gospel writers and the epistle writers, Paul in particular is 13, and Peter, and James, they oftentimes wrote things that we might think of as color commentary of Jesus is teaching so that Christ's kids, his kingdom kids, his disciples, those who are making up the church, would know how to live their lives. And so in this passage this morning, we see very practical applications of this indeed. Now, let's begin this morning by looking at verse 38 together. Jesus says here, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Jesus is here quoting directly from uh, the Old Testament, not in 
in full, but in part. And so I think the part here obviously would stand for that which is the full. Here's just a couple of places we see in Exodus 21. If men struggle with each other and strike a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet there is no injury, he shall surely be fined as the woman's husband may demand of him, and he shall pay as the judge as the judges decide. And this is a key part right here to understanding this law of retaliation. These were issues that went before the magistrates. These were issues that went before the judges. Okay, and that's going to become a, a, a particular interest within our text and how to understand these things because by the time of the scribes and the Pharisees, when they showed up on the scene, they had taught this in such a way that this was to be taken in a very personal manner, in a very personal application. So personal retaliation was the name of the game. It was the spirit of, 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 the, of, of the day. So if you did something against me, I could personally respond against that, and Jesus is going to be teaching against that. And we see in the Old Testament that it's judges, here magistrates, who will be making decisions with regard what the fine or the retaliation of that may be. But, he says in 23, if Moses, if there is any further injury, then you shall appoint as a penalty... And here we have some of it, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. So <clears throat> this law of retaliation that would come down by, the way, by means of magistrates, these judges, would make a determination what needs what penalty would be meted out. We see this again in Leviticus 24. If a man takes the life of any human being, he shall surely be put to death. And so what would we have here? We would have life for life principle. The one who takes the life of an animal shall make it good life for life. An animal of his for an animal that he perhaps killed of his neighbors. If a man injures his neighbor just as he has done, so it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, just as he has injured a man, so it shall be inflicted on him. And Jesus is by no means, when getting into this, this passage, and he says <clears throat> that you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, he is by no means trying to then go into verse 39 and say, but I say to you, he is by no means trying to overturn that which was written in the law. As a matter of fact, he said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Another one is from Deuteronomy 19. It says there, a single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of any injury or any sin which he has committed. And so here, what do we see? We have witnesses. Where do you need witnesses? In courts of law. And who listens to witnesses in courts of law are judges. On the evidence of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be confirmed. If a malicious witness rises up against a man to accuse him of wrongdoing, then both the men who have the dispute shall stand before the Lord, before the priest, and the judges who will be in office in those days. The judges shall investigate thoroughly, and if the witness is a false witness and he has accused his brother falsely, then he shall do to him just as he had intended to do to his brother. Thus you shall purge the evil from among you. The rest will hear and be afraid. Here's some of the outcome of this this principle of this law of retaliation. Um, the rest will hear and be afraid and will never again do such an evil thing among you. Thus you shall not show pity 
life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. In these passages, what we see here is known as a principle uh, called lex talionis in Latin. It's one of the most ancient law codes, which, as we see, uh, as it gets codified biblically here, um, it's that which requires that punishment for a crime exactly match the crime. Lex talionis. One of the earliest records of this principle is in the Code of Hammurabi, one of the ancient Babylonian kings who lived hundreds of years even before Moses. They were practicing lex talionis. And as we see from the Old Testament, the principle of punishment matching the crime had two basic purposes. We kind of articulated those as I went through. The first was to curtail further crime. There in this Deuteronomy passage here in verse 20 and 21, it says, And the rest shall be afraid and will never again do such an evil thing among you. The, the, um, the idea of punishment was to be a deterrent against further evil doing and further crime. And so when you see in cultures that lessen the principle of lex talionis, crime flourishes. You can do, go, do all sorts of things and there is never a quid pro quo truly for what has taken place. It might end up being just a little slap on the wrist. And, and thus, if all I'm going to get is a little slap on the wrist, me and my other homies are going to go and try to do all the more of it because if we don't get caught, then we get the lion's share. If we get caught, we may serve a little bit or whatever slap on the wrist. But if it was truly this principle of lex talionis, even in our land today, I think we would see the crime rate fall drastically. How about you? <clears throat> so one was to curtail further crime, and a second was to prevent excessive punishment based on personal vengeance and or angry retaliation from said victim. And this is why it needed to be meted out through judges and not on a personal level. You can imagine that if somebody killed your favorite pet pig, you might want to kill two other pigs. I don't know, just something but the human heart and the sin nature, right? And so uh, it protected a provision against excessive punishment based on personal revenge or retaliation. We can see this um, in the case in Genesis chapter 4. Remember old Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, Listen to my voice, you wives of Lamech. Give heed to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me. Is that excessive? Is that an eye for eye, tooth for tooth? No. And, and a boy, I've killed a boy for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventyfold. The pride and hubris of man in our heart, we would always be excessive in our retaliation. We would never do it in a God-honoring, judicial kind of way. We unfortunately would probably be more like Lamech than we would be the principle of Lex Talionis. And however, there are still many, I might say, even today, well-meaning people who view this principle, this now biblical doctrine, as it's codified by Moses in the Old Testament, um, many will, would even view this today as being perhaps cruel and even barbarous. 
Well, he was just a boy. He didn't mean to. He didn't understand. Well, let me tell you, had Lex Talion has been practiced the past century, that boy would have known very well and he would not have stole his neighbor's X, Y, or Z or done whatever. It just doesn't seem fair. The fairness doctrine oftentimes gets laid on top of Lex Talionis and the principle of retaliation from God's perspective. But when we think about it, we realize just the basic principle of this, nothing could be farther from the truth. The first thing we know about this principle is that it is indeed very just, isn't it? it, it is a, it's very just. As a matter of fact, I'm not certain if, if we can think of a, a system or a principle of justice that would be more fairly to be meted out than that of Lex Talionis. It's actually more equitable, equitable than a simple quid pro quo would be. I mean, it's eye for eye. You gouge out your neighbor's eye, someone's going to be gouging your eye out. You might think twice before you get into the scuffle with your neighbor. I didn't mean to. I understand. But it's still eye for eye. It was an accident. Yeah, we get it. It might uh, curtail people's um, their, their excitements and their passions uh, just a bit. But nonetheless, we know that this is a very fair and just principle. Um, I found a unique illustration of this in Judges. You know the days of the Judges? The very beginning of Judges, um, Adonai Bezek. Remember the king of Bezek, Adonai? And um, uh, the, the tribes of, uh, was it Simeon and um, Judah were going into the land of Canaan to do what they were told to do, which was to conquer some of the land. And, and so they go to war against uh, Adonai Bezek, and it says that they defeat uh, these tribes of Judah and Simeon, they, they defeat um, Bezek and, and they capture the, the king, Adonai Bezek. And it says this, um, that here it says, Adonai Bezek fled and they pursued him and caught him, and notice, and cut off his thumbs and his big toes. Adonai Bezek said, so here's the, <clears throat> here's the uh, heathen king saying, Seventy kings with their thumbs and their big toes cut off used to gather up scraps under my table. As I have done, so God has repaid me. Lex Italianus. Even the unregenerate heart sees it very clearly. So they brought him to Jerusalem and he died there. I don't know if he bled out. I don't know exactly what happened, but he died. Secondly, Lex Talionis as a statute applies very well in the context of servants, what we might think of back in the day as slaves, though not as stringent, stringently applied as it would be to freemen. Still, that principle of Lex Talionis provided to be proved to be a very merciful uh, statute that would provide certain levels of legal protection for slaves. Um, in that it placed again, restraints upon the passions of slave owners of the day and made some room for accountability for these slave owners who perhaps might have harmed a slave or injured a slave um, and perhaps even overly disciplined a slave from sheer cruelty or blatant negligence on their part. 
Um, some passages that come to mind, and there's many of them, but they're kind of spread out thinly, so I, I don't have anything on the screen on these, but in Exodus 21, if a man strikes the eye of his male or female slave and destroys it, he shall let him go free on account of his eye. So it's a little bit of a milder application for the slave, and that day would have been considered property of the owner, but you see that there are some provisions made within the legal system to provide some protection even for slaves. So from that perspective, the statute applying to servants was a very merciful provision from God indeed. Another one, if a, if a tooth, if, uh, if he knocks out a tooth of his male or female slave, he shall let the slave go free on account of the tooth. So again, not applied as stringently to slaves. It was a very merciful legal protection within a more privileged society for those less privileged indeed. And thirdly, Lex Talionis also helped preserve law and order within a community. And we've already kind of talked about that uh, a little bit from the passage there in Deuteronomy 19. It is to curtail those who would perhaps seek out uh, from their evil hearts to do a vice against a neighbor. And it's to curtail that because they knew for a fact that it said, you shall not show pity Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. So far from being cruel and unreasonable, this law of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth or a foot for a foot, instead we see that it's actually very beneficial within the context of human behavior and a well-civilized society. Again, it's probably the closest thing to true justice on a judicial level that we will probably see this side of heaven. Matthew Henry, in his commentary, he said, no man needs to be more merciful than God. The benefit that will accrue to the public for, from this severity will abundantly recompense it. Such exemplary punishment will be warned to others not to attempt such mischiefs. And it's interesting that... Um, we see people even in our day today that, that think themselves as being more merciful than God. The most merciful thing that we could do is recognize that God put down things in his word for the good of us, his people. And Lex Italianus is one of those. And in, in, in Jesus' day, there had been a misunderstanding and a misrepresenting of what that meant. And so his teaching to them is not to undo this principle, but it's to affirm it and then to give correction and, and by, by way of application to how they were then living this principle out wrongly. So again, in that Matthew 5.38, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Jesus here is most assuredly affirming Lex Italianus and not seeking to abolish this principle in the least. So when Jesus says in verse 39, but I say to you, He's instead correcting an incorrect rabbinic tradition on how this principle had been played out. Human vengeance was never to be taken personally. It was to be left at the hands of the courts. And if something happened in your life where you felt that it needed to go to the courts, that's where you needed to take it. Vengeance was not yours to take on your own. We see in Deuteronomy 32, vengeance is mine. 
and retribution. In due time, their foot will slip, for the day of their calamity is near, and the impending things are hastening upon them. Even in the New Testament, Romans 12, 19, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And if we had some time this morning, we could have slipped in some Romans 13, where clearly we see that governments are there as... Um, in, in the stead of God's, so when it says leave room for the wrath of God, God places human government in, in his stead on earth to, to mete out. Lex talionis should be in a, in, a, in a perfect world and in a perfect way that would bring justice as best it could, as it could be here on this earth. Vengeance is mine, God says. I will repay. In what God gave his limits on civil courts, he gave limits, an eye for an eye. It's not to be excessive. It's not to go beyond that. The uh, Jewish tradition had turned it into instead a personal mandate of self-governance and wrong oftentimes would ensue. Let's notice verse 39 here as Jesus continues. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. Jesus here correcting the, the Pharisees' misinterpretation is thus forbidding retaliation on personal level. Do not resist the evil person. Now, resist here means from Luanida to actively oppose pressure or power. To actively oppose pressure, whatever that pressure may be that they're applying, or power that they may have at their disposal. Actively oppose. Do not actively oppose their pressure. Do not actively oppose the power that they're trying to bring upon you. So to whatever degree this evil person is doing their evil, in whatever their pressure or whatever their power is, Jesus is here telling those who wish to be his disciples and who wish to enter into his kingdom to not make it your business to actively oppose such things. Not to be actively engaged in opposing their pressures or their powers or whatever that is that comes bearing down against you or perhaps even someone else. To not take the law into their own hands so as to procure what you might think of as street justice instead. In essence, as you have heard from verse 38, Jesus was just saying by reaffirming it, let it get to the courts. There will be an eye for an eye there, and there will be a tooth for a tooth there. In other words, leave room for the wrath of God as meted out at the hands of the judges. Again, Jesus is not saying to turn a blind eye to an evil culture. Whenever he says, do not resist an evil person, he's not in essence saying, hey, just let evil run muck in the land. We are actually to be those who are even exposing such bad behavior. But the proper means or the proper way in which you do that is not to become vigilantes. To take the law into your own hands, you need to take those to the magistrates, to the courts, to the judges, and let them determine what is right and what is wrong and how that needs to be thus meted out. We are not to take matters into our own hands. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, says it this way, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, 
This is where you go to get proper lex talionis. Whether to a king as to one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. Wouldn't it be great if it was this way? It would be, wouldn't it? It's not exactly like this even in our land today, is it? There might be, I, I don't know, I haven't researched this real thoroughly, there might be a little bit more of that Lex Talionis somewhere in some of these Middle Eastern cultures. And boy, what you find there is you find crime rates that are staggeringly low in children who are very obedient parents. It's amazing. And to governing authorities, and to their moms and dads, and to their teachers. It's amazing how whenever Lex Talionis is measured out in societies and it's been like that for so many years, you do see, uh, you see people not as willing to take the risk of falling into the hands of their human institution <laughs> who is there to punish evildoers. Now, not anybody is ever doing this rightly. We could always find some kind of a glitch in any and every system. But from God's perspective, as he laid it out through Moses to the nation of Israel, Lex Talionis was the, 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 the legal principle of the day. Matthew Henry <clears throat> said it this way. I take that back. I just looked at it. This isn't Matthew Henry. This is Arthur Pink. I've got Matthew Henry later. Arthur Pink said it this way. Magistrates and judges were never ordained by God for the purpose of reforming reprobates or pampering degenerates, but to be his instruments for preserving law and order by being a terror to evil. Romans 13, 3. The magistrate is the minister of God, not to encourage wickedness, but to be an avenger to execute wrath upon him that doth doeth, I'm not good at old English, doth, doeth evil. Again, Romans 13. But yet we live in a land where our laws, we, we, we don't hold anybody accountable. We have laws on the books. We turn blind eyes to them always. Unless, of course, <clears throat> unless, of course, you don't pay your uncle the money that you owe him. You can almost violate any other law of the land and a blind eye might be turned to it or the, the, uh, the, the meeting out of punishment might be lessened. But if you take your Uncle Sam's money and you don't give him what's owed, and I even heard they're, they're perhaps going to maybe try to hire a few more people to check out some of you a little bit closer, going to look underneath your, your 401 whatevers, make sure you're paying all your dues. But that's when the government will come after you like a hawk and Lex Italianus kicks in severely then at that point. The magistrates, the judges, theirs is the job of resisting an evil person, not yours. The Jewish leaders had wrongly taught this divine precept as though God had given permission for each individual to take the law into his own hands and to avenge his own wrongs, which promoted personal revenge, and oftentimes it promoted revenge that did not meet the punishment, would not and did not meet the crime. It was oftentimes more excessive, which led to the Hatfields and the McCoys perpetually. And as such, a spirit of resentment uh, was very 
palpable within communities when people wrongly retaliated, wrong done against them. Now, by the way, I just wanted to point out also that Jesus here is not speaking about sinful behavior within the church. This is within the culture, within the community. Listen, if, a, if said evil person were in the church, the New Testament epistles would clearly articulate us to identify such a man. We're going to get to Matthew 18, make application of Matthew 18. And, and eventually, if there's not a repentance that demonstrates fruit in keeping with repentance in this person's life, and there's a stiff neck against God, you remove that person from the church. You push them out into the community, and you treat them as tax collectors, as unbelievers. Which means when you go out from the church and you're scattered and you see that individual, you would share the gospel with them in hopes that they would repent of their sin and come to faith in Jesus Christ. So this, this principle um, that Jesus is talking about is how people are living with one another and to make a good and honorable society, you are not to take law into your own hands. Within the church, you manage yourselves. Remove the evil, wicked man from among you. Now, in the rest of this section that Jesus is here dealing with, he's basically, basically going to bring up four distinct, sometimes what we might think of as our human rights, as ways to illustrate how to make application and how to manage relationships, how not to resist the evil man in a personal way, but how you can, in certain circumstances, live in a way that is God-honoring in the culture in which you live. Look again at verse 39 and notice the very end of it. He says, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. Now, within the Jewish culture and probably within any culture, I would imagine that a slap on the face is one of the most demeaning things that someone could do to another person. It's just very degrading. And when someone insults you in such a flagrant way, the natural fleshly response would be to retaliate and to do what? Just smack them back. Just take matters into your own hands. Jesus is here saying to those wishing to enter <clears throat> into his coming kingdom that his disciples, his kingdom kids, are to behave differently. So in a situation like this, if there was an, an evil person that came at you and perhaps slapped you on your right cheek, now just saying, how often does this happen? Has anybody been slapped this last week? Uh, and you say, well, not literally, but, but maybe you know, emotionally or, or whatever. No, literally, has someone, there's not many of us getting slapped these days, right? So this kind of a situation probably in our culture would be a very one-off kind of a situation. But if this person were to come at you, and more than likely you're in some kind of a context with them where you're probably going back and forth with each other and you're kind of getting on each other's go just a little bit if this individual were to, to haul off and just slap you upside your face. But in so much that he knows that you're claiming that you are one of Christ's kids, and perhaps you've even shared that glorious good news of the gospel with them before, Jesus says that might give you then an opportunity, instead of just smacking them back, as he says, um, turn the other to him also which is simply a way of saying, do not take this matter into your own hands. Rather turn the other to him also if that's what was needed. I don't think that it's a wooden literal principle where you, if somebody were, you're in an argument with somebody and they slapped you, you say, no, wait, in order to be biblical, I need you to go ahead and hit, hit me again on this side. 
I don't think that it's taking it that way. The point is, is that you don't retaliate back. What you do instead is you turn the other, and in doing that, what are you doing? You're making room for the gospel through your life. Lex Italianus is not a principle that you are to be taking into your own hands. They were wrongly doing it that way. Back in that culture in Jesus' day, the scribes and the Pharisees would say, if somebody slaps you, you slap them back. Jesus is saying, no, that's not the way Lex Talionis works. That works in the court of law. That works with magistrates who may have to go and investigate a situation. That works over here like this. And that human government was given for your good and for your protection. It was never for you to take onto your, onto your own. You instead, being one of my kids, you offer the other cheek. As far as it depends on you, you be at peace with all people. And this passage also does not say, there's always these little <clears throat> caveats. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone and they're always trying to kind of get you? Yeah, but. Well, what about? Have you ever been in those? Of course you have. Don't look at me like I'm some stranger and I'm the only one that's been in that. Of course you have. Well, are you, so are you saying that if they slap me and, they, and I turn the other one, am I just supposed to let them beat me up and take me out? You see, I mean, you see how we can kind of go too far Jesus isn't saying, hey, just let them take you out, choke you out, and kill you. And then we get into other issues with regard to then, you know, in our culture, we have the stand your ground principle and all these other very nuances that we could potentially start talking about. And I use the word potentially could because I'm not, I, I don't have enough, we don't have enough time in the rest of this year to start trying to ferret out every single application across any particular nuanced piece that you might would like to think this through. Jesus is simply saying here to you, his kid, if you're in a situation where you've really offended somebody, perhaps you ought to, if they slap you for it, perhaps instead of striking back in retaliation, perhaps maybe recognize that you actually had some wrong in that. Perhaps you said something that really violated this person's conscience or whatever it may be and perhaps maybe you deserved it I don't know perhaps you didn't either perhaps you're the complete innocent party you see this thing goes we could chase this dog's tail forever but nonetheless you as a Christian don't retaliate lex talionis an eye for an eye tooth for tooth that's not applicable in this situation if you feel it's if you feel it's severe enough to need that then take it to the courts and let them figure that out and if you took that to the courts <clears throat> and they listened to that case <clears throat> and you told your story and you said you got the judge there and it's well what happened well this that and the other and they slapped me and if they said he's guilty what's his punishment a slap a slap for a slap do you want to take the slap or do you want one of our guards over here to take the slap i don't know how they would do that but that would be the punishment a slap for a slap. But if somebody slaps us, do we want to just slap them back or do we want to kind of get an extra pound of flesh? We do. So vengeance isn't yours, it's the Lord's. Lex Italianus is not for you to take into your own hands. Secondly, verse 40, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also so you've probably heard this one meted out in such a way where you're like well what am I supposed to do you know there's these homeless people like at every corner and they always asking for stuff and what if one of them say hey can I have your shirt I like that shirt can I have your shirt well absolutely have my shirt and here here's my coat because that's what that's what Jesus said let him take your shirt and your coat 
But I think one of the key things here is we see that we're going back into the courts. The application of this isn't just some random person that comes down the street and says, man, I need your shirt, can I have, and well, take my coat too. This is somebody who feels that you've perhaps wronged them to such a degree that they did take it to the courts. They are looking for lex talionis against you. And perhaps they even determined that whatever the case was, um, because it says, and, and they wants to sue you and take your shirt. So per, apparently, and, and, you know, in that culture, most people maybe had one, two, two, maybe be, at best three shirts, one coat probably, which was needed for a good night's sleep and a cold night. So taking, a, taking somebody else's shirt. So if you were to have gotten caught taking somebody's shirt, Lex Talionis before the law, they sued you for that. They would say shirt for shirt, give the man a shirt. And Jesus is saying, well, and if you get found guilty before said court perhaps, and they even say, yeah, you owe him a shirt, well then let him have your coat also. Go the extra yard, the extra mile. We're going to get to that one. But metaphorically here with, this, with, the, with the clothing, just go ahead and give him your coat also. If you, were, if you were found guilty of taking this person's shirt, and perhaps you did, perhaps you stole this man's shirt, then give him a shirt. Jesus says, go the extra mile. Make your testimony even more solid than perhaps it was after leaving this and you were found guilty of taking a man's shirt. So this isn't intended to be that anybody that comes up to you and wants your shirt, then you have obligation to give them your coat and shirt as well. This is clearly a case that's going before the courts. But how were, there, how were the scribes and the Pharisees perhaps wrongly meeting this one out? Well, perhaps somebody was taking somebody's shirt and they were taking matters into their own hands and so they were going and maybe, just maybe, they were stealing their shirts back or bringing undue harm to them and beating them up to, to get their shirts. I don't know exactly how all that would play out. We've, I've got more shirts in my closet and so do you. Some of these things just seem a little bit, there's these cultural hurdles and bridges that we have to get over. But at the end of the day, what is Jesus saying here? He's basically saying, hey, you make sure you go that extra mile, and, and if you've offended someone to the point where they actually took you to court to sue you for a shirt, just give them your jacket as well. You were guilty. You were wrong. Make it right. And perhaps, maybe in doing that, it's making room for the testimony of the gospel. That's the, that's the perhaps, that, the best perhaps that I can perhaps surmise from that. Another one that Jesus deals with has to do with a person's time. And time is a commodity, right? And people always say about time, what? Spend it wisely. And so here it says, whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. So a third right that the disciples of Jesus needed to be willing to sacrifice of their time um, was obviously going to be that which caused them inconvenience. Now, think, riding in the time of the Roman Empire, if a Roman soldier were to come to any civilian at this time carrying their rucksack, and they said, hey, I need you to carry my rucksack. By law, you were required to carry that Roman soldier's rucksack, it said, for a Roman mile, which is basically, it's not exactly the same as our mile, but it's close. But by law, you were required to carry this Roman soldier's rucksack for a mile. So it seems very clearly that, that Jesus is kind of pulling off of that cultural context and saying if someone forces you, because the only way perhaps somebody in that culture would have been able to force you, actually force you legally, binding force you to go with them one mile would have been a Roman soldier saying carry my rucksack. 
And so that's going to cause you to, to relinquish some of your personal freedom, some of your own personal time. It's gonna, obviously, it's going to be a strain on your life because you had other things in mind that you were going to be doing instead. But Jesus, rather than saying, hey, go that mile as fast as you can and get out of there, he says, hey, just go with him two miles. And again, it just seems to me that this principle that Jesus is laying out here, always, they always seem to be making room for something. Whether it's, hey, turn the other cheek, don't, don't resist, don't fight back. Or perhaps it's, give him your coat also. Or perhaps it's, go with him a second mile. It seems that in each one of these, these first three so far and the next one, that there, Jesus seems to be making room for something within the context of a kingdom kid's life to be in close contact with somebody who's probably not yet one of God's kids. Probably. And it just makes sense to me that what that makes room for is room for the gospel. Room to make known the one who has come and that the kingdom of heaven is at hand and you need to repent because he's going to be establishing a kingdom. Oh, this big Roman empire that you see? No, he's going to be bringing that down. You need to repent, trust in Jesus. He's, a kingdom is coming. It just seems that in each one of these, Jesus is making room for his kids, his servants, to speak the gospel to those who probably need it the most. So, in our culture, we don't have soldiers that come up to us and force us to go a mile. Making application for this one is perhaps if you have a, a, an unbelieving person in your life, whether it's a boss or a family member or a neighbor, and perhaps your neighbor says, hey, neighbor, can you go with me for a mile, which means can you help take care of my yard? I've got this gangly bush over here, and I can't do it alone, and I need, I need you. And it's going to take some of your time. Perhaps that's uh, an opportunity to give him even some extra time than you had originally intended, because maybe God's opening a door, just maybe, for you to be an evangelist and to share the gospel with your neighbor, not just help remove the gangly vine off his fence. That's just the context in which God's inserting you to let your light shine. Just perhaps. And then one more, this last one in verse 42. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Again, what seems to be implied here in Jesus' teaching is that this person who is asking of you, for whatever it may be, is truly asking from a place of desperation. I think this perhaps has some application with all these people that we see standing at corners. The person who is asking for you, to whom it says, do not turn away, and from him who needs to borrow from you, there seems to be the, the implication that this is an individual with whom you have some knowledge of, and you know for a fact this person has done everything they can to make provision for themselves. They've taken on an extra side hustle, whatever that might have been in their culture or your culture. Whoever this person may be, probably a family member, perhaps a church member, a neighbor, they are truly in need of your help. Jesus says, give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. This is not a license just to go up to anybody and say, hey, I need some financial help. Can't you help me? After all, it says you're supposed to help me. 
I think that the, the steps that were needed for this individual to try to bring provision to their own family for themselves, they have exhausted every possible means and you knew of it. And you're in context with them where they then note that they could come to you and just basically say, I need some help. Could I borrow some money to get me through to this, to this period? And if you have the means with which to help a brother in need like this, I think Jesus is saying, go that extra mile in this situation from him and do not turn away from this individual needing your help. What's one of the things that that, that, that really helps us with? We're seeing that in all of these, again, that Jesus, Jesus is truly the owner of what? Everything. Um, he's the owner of actually all your money. So we're just simply called to be stewards anyways. So steward the money that he gave you well. And if you know of someone in, in a situation that they, they are, they're in a bind and you can help them and God's provided for you, then do it. Oh, your time uh, who owns your time? In essence, who owns you? you we, we belong to the Lord's. We're seeing the Lordship of Jesus Christ over these different facets and areas of our lives. And Christ is calling us to make him Lord of our lives in such a way that whether it's our time, our talents, our treasures, our resources, whatever they may be, they're not ours to begin with. And here Jesus is saying, so here's how I want you to dispense of these things that I put into your charge in a way that shows that you were one of my kids desiring to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And such is Jesus' correction of the misunderstanding and misapplication of the law of lex talionis, of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That principle stays. Don't take vengeance in your own hands. Recognize that you belong to the Lord, everything he's given you. And if you get called in a misdeed, then give extra. If you're asked to go an extra, uh, to go a mile, go too. I own you, I own your time. And by the way, when we get to the end of the book, he's going he's gonna to give us that beautiful commission so that we know what we're actually supposed to be doing anyways, right? We're on mission for Jesus. And if he can put us and insert us into different circumstances and in different places in people's lives in order to be a blessing for them, for the propagation of the gospel, what's it all about anyways? It's about that. And such is the law of non-resistance as taught by Jesus. Let's go let our light shine, church. Amen.